performance means different things for different people. For a lot of who I work with, it tends to mean elite sports performance. But for other people, it might be their performance in the office, at the desk, in the boardroom. And performance really does start with how you fuel. Hello and welcome to Run the Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running can help us with leading, managing people, and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay, and today I'm joined by a CEO and founder of a startup who used his knowledge and expertise in nutrition, particularly in the world of elite sports, to build his own business. He's been a performance nutrition consultant for British canoeing, Harlequins rugby team, British fencing, Team Wigan Cycling, Queen's Park Rangers Football Club, and many others, but recently started Hexis, an app to help athletes manage their nutrition around their training. David Dunn, welcome to Run the Business. It's brilliant to be here, and uh, thanks a million for having me. David, what, whereabouts in the world are you? Just let us know a little bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm currently based uh, out of Wicklow over in Ireland, so, so not too far, just across the pond. But I have spent, I suppose, prior to COVID, I spent the last 13 years uh, based in the UK, working in professional sport and, and working my way through my my various degrees and qualifications over there. So I, it looks like I'll end up back there soon. So yeah, that's where I am at the minute. Tell us a little bit about your running story to kick off. Firstly, when did you last go running? Oh, it's, it's a good question. I suppose I've always been a, a team sport man. So I do, I suppose I'll always do my own training to go alongside what we're doing with the team and my primary sport would actually be Gaelic football without being too stereotypically Irish. So for those that aren't aware, Gaelic football would be played, I suppose, across Ireland, but also in the Irish hotspots of the world. So you find the East Coast of America, Australia, obviously across in the UK, there's there's plenty of us hiding around and the running demands are pretty high. So, you know, pretty high for us in terms of the high speed running mm-hmm. uh, might be between a kilometer and a kilometer and a half a game and a game could cost us maybe anywhere from nine to 13 kilometers. So I generally get out about two to three days a week just to try to stay on top of the demands for that. But to this date, haven't yet, haven't yet tackled a marathon um, or anything like that, but maybe in the near future. And tell me a little bit about the, the spaces that you go running in. Um, it, it, you must have some good scenery around you. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Where I'm based at the minute, uh, County Wicklow is known as known as the Garden of Ireland. And we've got some lovely, some lovely mountain ranges, as well as lakes, places like Glendalough. If anyone ever does manage to come across here, heading down to Glendalough for the day, taking a look at the lake and then sort of walking and running up behind something known as the Sphinx. There's some phenomenal views. Uh, and just very relaxing. I think, like anything, getting back out into nature, getting back into the hills is is great for headspace. It's great for, in many ways, just, just getting away from everything and sort of helping you solve problems when you come back to it. Sounds fantastic. To start with, tell me a little bit about your journey and how you ended up in this space of being an expert around nutrition and particularly in sports. So where did it all start for you? Yeah, so I was one of the fortunate ones where I was I was fascinated by human performance from quite an early age, and I had managed to play sport to a decent level, sort of as an adolescent, and it really spurred on my interest to go and pursue it at university to understand it a little bit more. So I started off at St Mary's University in Twickenham, where I studied nutrition and sports science, and I sort of majored in nutrition but did my minor in sports science because I also really wanted to understand the different implications for the, the other areas 
of human performance that were going on and to try to tie it together. Throughout that undergrad, I managed to pick up a couple of work placements, one of which was with the Irish rugby team, believe it or not, as they were preparing for a World Cup. So it was great to get in and get some hands-on experience throughout that career. And I just, like I said, I loved it. I loved the environment. I loved the questions and the thinking that was required to try help people get the most from themselves. And I think right from the early day, I th- the early days, that want to help somebody realize their potential has probably been as I've evolved throughout the years. I've always come back to that as my core why, if I was to say that. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that journey of, like I said, like what can this person achieve? How, how can we help? How can we get them to where they want to go? And then from that undergraduate degree, I managed to pick up some pick up some work in elite sports. So I started working with QPR, as you said, British fencing and Bradford Bulls at the time. So I was lucky to get quite a span of sports, early doors, some team sports, some individual sport, and carried on my postgraduate through the Olympic Committee and managed to pick up a wide range of jobs then and sort of spread into golf, into cycling, into canoeing. And being completely honest, I'm incredibly fortunate to have the breadth of experiences that I have had because I really do believe in any practitioner that is listening to this, you know, being able to get across organizations, get across environments massively increases your ability to not just learn, I suppose, about those sports, about those contexts, about high performance, but also understand how to work with different people in different organizations and, and different setups. Mm-hmm. And that journey really spurred me on, I suppose, to to decide to self-fund a PhD. I found I was spread quite thin acro- across a number of places. And I started to make some observations around inefficiencies that we had in the business. There was a lot of, I suppose, pardon the, the language, but like it was a bit of same shit, different tracksuit going on. It was a lot of a lot of time that could have been optimized. And also I got frustrated. I'm quite a personable person. Like I I believe the most valuable time in my day, when I, I suppose in my nutritionist days, is spending time with people, you know, building relationships, building trust, having conversations. And the amount of work that I needed to catch up on behind a desktop was pulling me away from the front line. So I decided to self-fund a PhD where I was exploring the impact of technology and behavior change science on nutrition to see if we could look to develop a more efficient solution that would solve problems not just for practitioners, but also for athletes and ultimately empower both the coaches and the athletes with personalized nutrition that's powered by AI and build this, I suppose, powerful nutrition ecosystem for optimizing performance. And that's kind of led to the journey and the development of Hexus today. You know, Hexus itself was was born out of an academic team and, and some critical thinking as opposed to saying, oh, I really want to go and set up a business. Okay, makes sense. And correct me if I'm wrong, but nutrition, it feels, has has not been part of elite sport for that many years. I mean, to take us, give us a sort of perspective on how long it's been considered a critical part of success in, in sport and in, and in business as well, I guess, but in sport specifically. Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, people will argue that, well, it's it's always been there because obviously everyone's had to, to fuel, to limit fatigue and get the most out of their body. But if you actually look at the the breadth of research and the volume of research that's occurred specifically in sports nutrition over the last, I suppose, let's say since the the early 1950s, the volume of publications that were coming out was incredibly low. Like we're talking, you know, 10, 20 publications a year, some years. 
And it's only really been since we've got to the 2000s have we seen this explosion in research that has really increased our understanding of exercise physiology, metabolism, and how the body, I suppose, is working under different circumstances and responding to different interventions from a nutritional perspective. So sports nutrition as a, as a domain is, is young, um, but it's growing legs quite rapidly. And I suppose nutrition is the same. And it, it's evidenced by the fact that, you know, you, you look out and you, can, you only need to, to go on your phone and scroll through social media to see the incredible amount of fad diets and things that are being pushed in people's directions that are essentially just trying to harvest money from them and grab attention. And the fact that that stuff is is still going on kind of really highlights the global lack of understanding of how to get the most from your body in any situation, whether it is going for a short 5K, you're pushing yourself and you're training for your marathon or maybe even longer or in the workplace setting. And is it, you know, because in the last few years, sort of, you know, incremental gains in sport have become so much more important. Do you think nutrition's become one of those where people have seen the opportunity with with nutrition and gone actually we can make a you know we can make a difference here and and what what sort of percentage difference do you think it can affect uh, an athlete what goes in what what they eat well i think it plays a, a monumental role for a number of reasons there's a number of different ways i'm going to answer this question i think i'll just start off with probably nutrition now is no longer being viewed as okay it's just good to eat healthy to you know, to be healthy, nutrition is being viewed as a training tool. It now has the ability to amplify how your body responds to a training stimulus or dampen if you get it wrong. So one of my colleagues from Hexus as well, he did his, his PhD in something called carbohydrate periodization, which really looks at manipulating your carbohydrate intake around the type, the intensity and the duration of your activity to either, like I said there, uh, maximize how your body responds to that stimulus um, or if you get it wrong, it may dampen it from that instance. And that's really formed the back, backbone of Hexus at the minute, this, this carbohydrate periodization model. We call it carb coding. When you start to look at what your body needs to do and you align your nutrition to the demands of that activity, you can limit fatigue. You can elevate how fast you can recover as well as positively impact the adaptations that are occurring on the back of that workout as well. So nutrition now has transitioned from being a, okay, I need to just eat well to how am I eating to maximize the work that I'm doing? Because when I mean, you're talking about, you know, what percentage improvements can we see? I think it was Mark Hay did a paper back into, I think it was about 2016, where they looked at this periodized nutrition approach in triathletes. And it was a short-term study. And, you know, you're finding quite big improvements in terms of significant changes one in body composition and we can infer a little bit about power to weight ratios there but ultimately we, when we were looking at time trial performance for some people it can be up to 11 percent, and that 11 percent that i've pulled out there has come on the back of averaging a number of studies to see you know when we start to follow these more disciplined approaches how how can we actually impact the time that you get the distance that you cover so the the performance benefits are massive I think even taking a step backwards from that, and we start to look at some of the work done by, I think this was done by the guys out in the Australian Institute of Sport, I think it was Ray Smith and his colleagues. They just looked at, you know, how much of your training can you complete? And if you have sufficient fuel to, or sufficient energy available on a day-to-day -day basis, 
matched to with what you're doing, we can obviously reduce the risk of you picking up an illness, an injury, underfueling and suffering from things like REDS, which is unfortunately now all too common. But when you can complete 80% of your planned training sessions, and this research looked at it over a four year Olympic cycle, they found you are seven times more likely to succeed. So there's, there's some phenomenal gains to be made by just getting the right foundations in place. At this time of year, there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are thinking about changing. They're going to be thinking about their diet, their attitude, the things they do, the things they don't do. From a an eating, from a nutrition point of view, what's the starting point that people should be thinking about? I mean, it, what basic advice would you be giving to people? And it is a bit of a cliche at this time of year to be doing this stuff, but what, what, how would you approach that question of, hey, David, what, what should I be eating? And, you know, what, what's, what does a healthy diet look like? When you look at this time of year, and we, we often see a lot of people setting resolutions. And we all know that resolutions come and they go very quickly. I'm a big believer at the start of a year, if you're going to look at your calendar, I would be more inclined to say, well, well, what do you want to achieve? Especially from a sporting perspective. If you've got a lot of runners looking at this, a lot of people in business listening to this, what is the goal in your calendar that you want to achieve? So let's say it's the London Marathon, the Dublin Marathon, whatever it might be. You want to hit a PB in a 10K. It's better to put that target down and then we can work backwards from that. Because if we have a goal versus a resolution, a goal is going to keep ourselves more motivated to adhering to that. So one of the first things I'd say is, well, why do you want to change? Like what, what's, what's the point? What benefits do you hope to achieve from this? You know, and I would start to look at what, what is that outcome that they really want to deliver. And when we look at what that outcome that somebody wants to deliver is, now we can take a step backwards and say, okay, well, what behaviors do you need to be able to help you achieve that outcome that is important to you? So that would be one of the first things. And I think when we start to look at it, I always think it's, it's best when we are looking at behaviors, you should generally pick something that's easy for you to change on your worst day of the week because we often set the bar too high and people say well look I'm going to eat you know these types of food and these exact amounts and these times or I'm going to track all my nutrients and people just drop off because it's it's too different from their current patterns as opposed to looking at the path of least resistance which is often the path that gives us the best chance to succeed but if we have that goal, we have something there to plant that underlying motivation, something that we're driving towards. Then we look at, okay, well, do we have the knowledge? So what, what is the behaviors we need? And do I know why I'm doing them? Then it's really just about increasing somebody's opportunity to do that. And that could be through technology like Hexus that could support it, or it could be through the food that's available in the house or at work. But I suppose taking taking a step back and going towards, well, what are the, some, some of the basics that somebody needs in place? I think something that I suppose a lot of people tend to get wrong, um, in particular in this athletic space, is they tend to eat the same every day, despite every day being different. So I think one thing, you know, we see a lot of downstream negative effects on this, you know, relative energy deficiency in sport or low energy availability on the back of that being one of those big, big causes where there's a fundamental mismatch between intake and expenditure. And female athletes will often see the manifestation of this worse than male athletes. They may lose their menstrual cycle, have negative impacts on their hormonal health. For males, it may be lower testosterone. So one of the first things I'd look to do is to just to try 
encourage people to adjust their intake in line with the demands of their activity. If you're going to go for a big run, make sure you have sufficient fuel for that run. If you're on a complete rest day, maybe you need to pull back a little bit. So your carbohydrate and energy, is it generally fluxing in line with the demands of your activity? Some things I'd always keep pretty stable would be your protein intake. Generally, for most listeners, they should be aiming to consume somewhere between 1.6 and maybe up to 2.5 grams of protein per kilogram of their body weight a day. And despite popular belief, it doesn't need to change day to day. You know, our muscle turns over about 1% to 2% a day, which means in 50 days time, my quad is going to be made of completely new material. So from a protein perspective, we need to keep that supply pretty consistent each day and also throughout the day. So we might split that up into four plus servings across the day. And same from a micronutrient perspective, I think a good rule of thumb is aim for seven plus servings of fruit and veg a day. But I mean, those three broad things, adjusting your carbohydrate and energy to your training, keeping your protein pretty consistent in good ranges and making sure that you're avoiding the efficiency from a micronutrient perspective. I mean, they're, they're three fundamental pillars that I think everyone should aspire to have. That's really interesting to hear. If I could switch slightly into, you know, your experiences with people, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're a people person, you like being, you like being in the game. You must have worked with some great athletes over, you know, the different sports that you've been working in, but also the management and the leaders in those spaces. Where does the nutrition bit sort of sit in that in that sort of eco structure of, of sport is it does it depend on the sport or what I'm trying to get at is are you more sort of on the management side or are you working directly with with the, the athletes in sports nutrition and performance nutrition you, you will work directly with the athletes but you'll also have a direct contact point with the management whether that's through your own line manager who may be the head of performance or depending on the organization it might be directly into the coaches as well or a combination of both but I would say most of sport now operates where the backroom staff operate as a very multidisciplinary team, which means that the nutritionist sits alongside the strength and conditioning coach, the physio, the psychologist, the coach, and we're all working towards a common goal. And that common goal can vary from sport to sport. So for example, at Harlequins, you want to win the premiership. That's the goal. That's what everyone's driving towards. And then working backwards from that, we then need to look at, okay, what are individual players' roles? Where do they need to improve, whether it's a physical attribute, whether it's a, a quality in a game that we're looking to support the development of, or whether it's actually specific match day strategies to try and enhance performance in the game day setting. We pivot to another sport like cycling and nutrition can play a much more detailed role on a day-to-day -day basis. Because when we look at cycling, we're really looking at a sport determined by numbers, where if your power to weight ratio is good, you can get your fueling right and you can produce the correct, you know, the required power at the, the key time points in the race, not run out of fuel. Your chances of winning that race could be could be quite high. So I think it, it really does vary sport to sport. I think you see it play a, a more significant role in individual sports. And I think typically that's because the athlete is responsible for their own performance themselves, whereas in a team sport setting, there's so many other variables that can determine whether you win or whether you lose. You know, often it's technical, often it's tactical, and the nutrition is there to support and enhance the performance of those individuals and the collective. But I think you see it come to light a lot more in that individual sports setting. And is this just for elite athletes, professionals? 
how much is is it benefiting the average man woman who just wants to be healthy and be fit and do sport themselves how's it how's that changing i think there's a global trend and i've always liked nike's definition of an athlete like nike have always been great to say look if you have a body you're an athlete you don't need to be competing at the olympics or you don't need to be competing you know at the world cup out in qatar to consider yourself an athlete we all love the feeling of, you know, our own exercise, whether it is going for a run, going for a bike ride, playing team sport. I think like paddle might be the fastest growing sport in the world now, going with your friends and playing that. And I think when we look at that and we look at the trends around people wanting to get more from their bodies, to feel better, to this mass uptake of wearables so people can help understand their bodies a little bit more, you know, quantifying things like heart rate variability to understand some of the stress on that autonomic nervous system. They're looking at their sleep to make sure that they're in a more recovered and in a better psychological state going into work. I think we're seeing this much broader and it's, it's definitely not for the elites. It is for anyone that wants to just realize what they're capable of and feel good doing what they enjoy. You know, how can it help them feel better? I often talk about like these moments, how can it help feed into these moments where you know, not everyone is going to win a gold medal at the Olympics. But if you go and run your first marathon, at the end of that marathon, it's going to be a hell of an experience. You're going to have this moment where you're surrounded by your friends and you'll feel like, you know, you did the best you could. You really enjoyed not just the race, but the process that got you to the race, you know, and you're happy with what you left out there. And I think that's that's the thing that I think is is very generalizable. We all have these things that we we want to do ourselves or feel ourselves. And I think nutrition can play a big role in facilitating those moments for people. And through your journey that you, you've described, you must have worked with some amazing people. Is, is there anybody that sticks out or any, I mean, you, don't, you don't even have to mention them by name necessarily, but any styles of leadership or people that, that have really inspired you? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. I mean, I've been fortunate to work with lots of different types of people and lots of different styles of leadership. In terms of management, I think there are a few people who I think have done, well, in my opinion, very good jobs. I've, I've probably also seen stuff that hasn't worked that well, you know, where people have lost the dressing room and it hasn't gone too well. But if I was to sort of name somebody, I'd probably actually name my line manager. So not even from managing the team, you know, but there's a, a, a sports scientist or head of performance, Dr. Brian Kniff, who has been, he's line managed me when I started at British Canoeing. He's still a very good friend. Today, and you know, we work in, in another capacity together today, but he really introduced, I suppose, critical thinking to me. I remember going in for my performance reviews or, you know, we'd be catching up and I've never met a man to give me no answers, but only ask me questions, but really helped me facilitate my own thinking throughout that time by supporting me to find the answers instead of, I'm sure the answers were apparent to him at the time, but going in and having those one-to-ones, having a decent conversation and him sort of pushing back more questions on me that it might've taken me, you know, a few days, a week to go, oh, that's what they're talking about to help develop that critical thinking skill. And I think that's been consistent across the environments that I've seen work well, where there's more of a empowering individuals and giving individuals more responsibility and giving them a voice. I think all the organizations that I've seen that achieve success it has often come on the back of 
those key people, having their autonomy supported, making them feel heard and ultimately giving them responsibility as well. And I think it's, you know, I look at the team in Hexus now, we're very, we're very big on making sure that everyone has ownership over their work. Everyone is the expert in their space and we have to collaborate together to move forward. No, like it's, there's no hierarchical approach to say this voice is more important than this voice because ultimately we're, we're really in the business of, of innovating. But even in sports, and I think, you know, probably, a, I'm just thinking that a good example as well would have been Harlequins a few years ago when they won the Premiership. You know, things, things hadn't worked out there with, with the current manager for, for whatever reasons. But on the back of that, it was, a, it was a bold move from the organization to empower the players to decide how they wanted to run the club for the rest of the season. And I mean, they went on to win the Premiership and play some of the most attractive rugby they've played for years. I think players loved going to work. They felt heard. They, they were leading the charge. Some might say the prisoners ran the asylum, but I think those kind of stories in sport are, are fantastic to see. I think you see it a lot in, in Olympic settings where individual athletes are empowered to have a big say over, this is what I feel works for me, and the coaches help support that and help guide that. But I think that's a long-winded answer to, towards saying, give people ownership, support autonomy, make people feel heard, and create an environment of collaboration and critical thinking. This podcast is all about running and how running might help people in, in business and leadership. And, and I think nutrition is a key part of that. And it's great to talk about that. Thinking of your role in Hexus and, and actually, you know, your, your, your life outside of, of your, your job or your expert area how does how does running help you be better in your work at the beginning of this conversation you talked about the the headspace it gives you and the, the you know the chance to get out of uh uh you know the, the the moment and just get some space talk a little bit a bit more about how how running what running does for you and, and the benefits that you get the individual benefits i get from running are our second to none is the honest answer. And I think, I think it comes back to this concept of mindfulness. I think mindfulness can be different for different people. My friends and my colleagues, well, I'm sure will, will, will attest to, I'm quite an intense person. And I like that intensity on a day-to-day -day basis. But just getting out and being completely immersed in an activity where you don't have time to really think you're just engaged on whatever it might be your pace the setting not running into somebody if you're up on a trail making sure you don't fall over and just being completely present in that moment i find phenomenally powerful for managing my own performance but also managing my own mental health and i couldn't recommend embracing those moments more highly to other people because you know often when you come back from from your run and you've managed to actually completely empty your head, completely empty your thoughts, whatever problem you were working on before you, you know, you tied up your laces, you probably see it a bit clearer. You've given yourself a chance to, to get away from it and then come back to it and understand it a little bit more. But for me, the core of it is actually mindfulness. It's on a personal level, it, it is the only time that I ever really feel completely immersed in, in that activity away from work that allows me to to clear the head. Are there any specific examples of, of a particular run or where running has given you a lesson, uh, something you've transferred into your work or, or a particularly memorable run that you did and, and you can kind of just recall that in your mind and it takes you back to a certain time? 
Yeah, I've always enjoyed trails. I'm very fortunate here. There's, you know, there's there's lots of forestry. There's there's lots of sort of lovely lakes and mountains and that kind of going through those sort of forests on trails where there are a few more obstacles. I suppose it's the best best thing I can sort of describe to sort of being being in the zone and just getting away from it. There's a place near me called Glen of the Downs. It's a very short loop. You know, you might go around it a few times, but generally getting up there, I would have well, I'd have fond memories of that from from a child, I suppose, as well, and, and running up there. But even now, you go up there and it kind of brings you back and sort of resettles you. Over the Christmas break, I suppose we've we've been working on a number of fascinating projects at Hexus, which we're really excited to to push and launch in 2023. But obviously, you know, we're we're doing something innovative in particular over this Christmas break. I think getting away and getting that bit of mindfulness has has helped accelerate how quickly we're moving those pieces now and just gain more clarity of thought. Nutrition clearly plays a really important part in in sports, in running. Can it also affect how we work and and how we lead? And this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I kind of want to understand your thoughts on uh, nutrition for for the workplace, people that might not be athletes of of, uh, at this point of any kind, but how, how can it help them be better at their jobs? Yeah, I think it comes back to the definition of performance. So performance means different things for different people. For a lot of who I work with, it tends to mean elite sports performance. But for other people, it might be their performance in the office, at the desk, in the boardroom, or whatever their role may be. And performance really does start with how you fuel. So even if we're looking at your, I don't know, let, let's say let's say you're a, a trader in London, you're on desk a significant portion of the day you're trading in multiple markets which means that there are a couple of hours that are incredibly intense at the start of the day maybe at the end of the day if you don't have the right nutrition to support your cognitive function to support your energy those little decisions you make behind the laptop could be worth millions i mean they could be worth your job ultimately so like those high pressure situations and that's just one example of performance in another setting are you hydrated enough? Do you have enough energy available to also make the decisions? Because thinking and working is still a quite a, a cognitively demanding task. And all of these things do require energy. So how we fuel is going to impact our ability to perform in those situations as well, as well as recover from them, because they're incredibly stressful. And when we think of stress, I mean, there's you could broadly bucket stress into, into two types. You've got physical stress, which is you going out to train. You know, you could run, you could go to the gym and you've got psychological stress, which could come from work. We still need to look after ourselves to recover from these situations and fuel and prepare ourselves for these situations. So I still view it as incredibly transferable and probably why you see the the corporate wellness space worth so much. Companies recognize that, you know, and good examples of this could be when it was Facebook in their early days, making sure that they had the right food in the office to encourage people to want to stay more, but also to make sure that their output was good. They felt good. They were healthy. They weren't missing days due to illness. And they sort of were were happy going about their work. So I think there's a, there's a massive knock-on effect here into the workplace setting. And I think it hasn't fully been tapped yet. And there's probably a little lack of research. I'd love to see more research in the corporate setting to say, well, what happens if we do go and optimize the intake of 50 people on this floor versus not interfering with this 50 people on this floor? How many days were lost to illness that they just were sick and they weren't even able to work? 
What was their actual performance like? What was their enjoyment like? How did they feel about themselves? You know, their perceived energy, all of those things. I think there's, I actually think there's fascinating opportunities for more research there, but I think we can all attest to when we're feeling fit, when we're, when we're eating well and we're, we're going into work fueled, we can deliver more and we're generally happier about it. It's a really interesting space, isn't it? Because obviously during COVID, you know, most people were working from home or, or, or there was a lot of sort of hybrid working, which has you know, continued into, into this year. And maybe some of that workplace wellness, that corporate wellness that you, that you talk about, I, I know it's huge, but maybe some of the actual sort of you know, on the ground stuff of you know, the fruit basket in the office or making sure that there's water on every floor, that kind of stuff, maybe some of that stuff's been lost. And maybe, as you say, there's a huge opportunity there for, for, for business leaders you know, listening to this, people in you know, office managers that, that can kind of bring, make sure this stuff exists because, as you say, it makes a huge difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it depends on the office as well. You know, you've got some business owners who they really want to support the people. They believe in the people. Their whys are aligned and they're on this, this common mission that could be, let's, let's say, they could be playing more of a, an infinite style game they're driving towards that mission. You've got some business owners that are, you know, it's, it's, it's just money. Who can produce what? But the, the interesting thing is in both instances, if you don't look after the staff, if you don't look after the people, you'll never achieve either of those outcomes, whether it's achieving and driving towards that, that ultimate mission that you're going towards or, or improving, improving your books and actually what the company can take in. And I think like you alluded to, you know, your water coolers, your fruit baskets, they're token gestures. People need to be investing in 24-7 coaching support that can help support autonomy, looking at the environments and actually starting to look at, well, what behaviors, how can we structure the environment? And this is something we've done a lot of with the, the Ryder Cup guys throughout the years. You know, when we get the floor plan for whatever venue we're going to, we, I mean, we, we'll call it scripting the critical moves, but we know, okay, if people are going to be walking through this area four or five times a day or from the second they wake up what's the path they take towards getting in the car to go to the course when they're at the course where do they go to go from the direct, the locker room to the first tee how do you set up the environment to make it easier for somebody to make better choices to provide small nudges where actually they're doing the right thing even though they're not doing the right thing and then you can also leverage technology to help support autonomy. And if they do have a question, because motivation comes in peaks and troughs. Generally, if you have a question, you want it answered now because it's just popped into your head. And if you've got to wait a day or two to get it answered, it may be gone, it may be forgotten, and, and you may have missed that wave that you could have ridden. And I think that's where technology can come in to start to also support. So we kind of have, well, what's that environment like? And then how are we also digitally supporting somebody to be able to manage themselves effectively? So. Some really big opportunities there. I mean, like if anyone's listening and is interested in a project, please please let me know because those behavioral interventions are something that are something that I'm very passionate about. Uh, but but something that I just don't believe yet, with the exception maybe of one or two big big tech companies have have really got a handle on. Tell us a little bit about Hexus, David, and and the journey that that has you know brought you to this point and uh, tell us a little bit about what it is and who's it for and, and how can people uh, access it? Sure. So Hexus is for athletes and I'm going to stick with Nike's definition of athletes. You don't need to be a professional athlete, but if you're, inter if you're interested in running, 
cycling, if you're generally into your fitness, that's the type of athlete that I'm talking about. So we're for athletes and coaches. And really what we do is we help deliver personalized nutrition that's powered by AI. We view it as a, a nutrition ecosystem for optimizing performance where we'll ingest information about your training and then we'll predictively personalize and periodize how you should fuel throughout the course of the day and across the week. So we're really helping you get your fueling right in line with the demands of your activities. And how we do that is we really translate the science of human performance into personalized daily nutrition practices that are tailored to the demands of those workouts, your own lifestyle and your goals. So I suppose ultimately what we do is we build technology that helps you fuel smarter, perform better and recover faster. And like I said earlier, how we got here was, was very much through a research effort. I was fortunate enough throughout my PhD journey to collaborate with a computer scientist, a medical statistician, a behavioral scientist, and an exercise physiologist who are all very good friends. And, and we've turned into being co-founders together. And we, we really launched Hexus because we were doing research and we realized that we were incredibly effective at building and delivering these interventions. And there was also an opportunity just to help more people realize what they were capable of. And I think that core why of helping people realize their potential has existed as a common team uh, theme throughout. So our mission as a collective is, is to help people unleash their potential. And where we are now, we recently launched into the market towards the end of the summer last year. So I think there's over 500 members at the minute that are making the use of the technology to, to help themselves fuel smarter and get more from their body. We're making a big push in 2023 now as we're releasing our coach platform solution as well. So we found when we launched last year, we, we gained a a significant amount of traction from coaches. I say coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, they could be business owners, they could be nutritionists. Just because we save them time, we've managed to automate a lot of the laborious tasks in their day. And I suppose if you are if you are a practitioner, the core of the platform will save you time, enable you to grow your business um, and allow you to have more conversations and be better at what humans are better at. And from an athlete perspective, like I said before, really empowering you with the technology to deliver more from, from yourself. And, and will it will it tell me exactly kind of what to eat or is it more about the the, the makeup of, uh, of, you know, the carbohydrates, the proteins, things like that, or, and, and when to eat? I mean, t t tell us a bit about kind of how it, how it would work on that front. So as an individual, when you set it up, you'll we'll capture a little bit of information about you and gather your own personal profile. It will capture a little, some biometric data, some physical data, a little bit about your typical lifestyle patterns so we can start to understand your base energy requirements and your typical lifestyle requirements. Then what would happen is on a day-to-day -day basis, or maybe you're a planner, you might plan ahead a little bit more. You add in your planned workouts and we'll ingest information such as the type, the intensity, the duration of that activity. And from there, we'll be able to predictively plan exactly how you should fuel. So the exact energy macronutrient requirements for each meal across the span of that week. We're currently in the process of connecting to wearables as well. So we'll also be able to harvest your data from your digital device to say, well, if you planned on doing a 45 minute run and you ended up doing a 60 minute run at a slightly higher intensity, we'll be able to say, well, okay, you planned on doing this. You've actually done this. Here's how you can optimize your recovery on the back of a little bit more or a little bit less work, depending on what's happened. And we're also, we've built a, a recipe database of over 1,500 recipes currently, which we launched in our beta trial, and they're coming back into the platform in the next few months. So 
it will literally be able to translate everything through from the type of meal, the exact requirements within that meal and provide examples of, okay, this is what this looks like for you in terms of here's a bowl of porridge that perfectly matches. Here's a chicken or a falafel wrap that perfectly matches your requirements as well. So it's a real busy roadmap as we sort of enter the, the, the first quarter of 2023. But yeah, really excited about delivering this into the space. Sounds fantastic. And 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 what business lessons have you uh, learned along this journey? Do, you know, what's the biggest thing that you sort of have picked up as you've, you know, aside from your expertise in, in nutrition and, and sports science, what about a business perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I've learned a huge amount. Um, yeah, and, and still learning. I don't think, I'd, I'd like to think I'll never stop learning or if I do stop learning, then then that's my that's my own problem that I'll have to deal with. I don't, I don't know if I can distill it into one. I suppose my, my previous line manager, Brian, sort of, he sort of gave me this analogy before about people who are I's, people who are T's and people who are combs. So an I would be pers- a person who has a, a narrow area of expertise. Maybe they're very strong in one specific domain and that is what they bring to the table. They're, they're an absolute expert in that area. A T might be somebody, and again, if you imagine a T shape, the long part of the T, somebody who has that narrow area of expertise, but then across the top, they do have a bit of an understanding of a few more domains. And then if we look at a comb, somebody might have multiple areas of domain expertise that are quite deep and have a breadth of that. And I think one of the big things for me is probably as I'm working with different types of people, also try to understand the people that I'm working with. Are they eyes who have the potential to become T's? Are they just eyes? Are they T's or are they combs? And I think that that has really allowed us to get the most out of each other because I think the the value in our team is is exceptional and something that I'm incredibly proud of. And I think something that I'll continue to always want to learn to do is from a business perspective, how do we get the most out of each other and continue to grow to grow in that domain? I mean, that, that idea of that mix of, of talent is crucial, isn't it? Having people with different skills it's it's it, it can't be on an individual you've got to have that mix of and that's a great way of articulating it with with the comb um and, and understanding where the different skills come in and and being aware that that even is is something is is a starting point isn't it definitely and i think like i said i think the awareness of the people in your team understanding the types of people they are and it comes back to right at the start you know I think one of the biggest investments, maybe actually this is where I was trying to get to, but but in a backwards in a backwards way, I've ended up here anyway. Is you know the biggest lesson is you invest in people, probably. I think that's what I'm really trying to say. Mm-hmm. If you really invest in people and you are working together towards something collective, you've got that sort of core why that is aligned, and you have that that bigger vision. I really think you can get the most out of each other. So you know, and, and that's something that I'll continue to to preach and practice, like. You know that our team is our most valuable asset. We, as a collective, are what can deliver these step changes in the nutrition space and can start to disrupt with the technology that we produce. But it is a team effort, and it'll it'll be my job as one of the co-founders to continue to help our team grow. Maybe add additional talents to that team, but um, yeah, I have no doubt as well. Like throughout this journey, some of our team wherever Hexus goes and, and however far it goes, they'll also, they've also got phenomenal, phenomenal talent that I can see them doing their own thing when the time is right and having great success. And I look forward to 
supporting them in those journeys as well. David, running aside, can you name a, a business tool, an app, a person, something that you couldn't do without? <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, there's loads of platforms that we kind of use for our sort of day-to-day -day operations. Slack definitely helps. Slack and the organization of different work streams into Kanban boards is, yeah, ma massively helps. So I'd probably say Slack, Figma, and Whimsical. Those three things are, are very, very important to our sort of day-to-day -day operations in terms of mapping business logics, wireframing, uh, and communicating across the team. All these things have great names, don't they? All these, uh, these apps and these I know, tools. yeah. Business aside, uh, and you can't say hexes for this answer, what's your favorite bit of running kit, uh, an app, an accessory, something you couldn't do without from, from your sporting side? Oh, good set of headphones on Spotify. That's, mm -hmm. That would be it. Like that would be my, my straight answer on that. I think, you know, we can invest in lots of different shoes, wearables, this, that, and the other. But I think if you've, if you've, got, a good, if you've got a good playlist and you've got something good to listen to them in, then I think you can, you can make the most of any situation. Tell me the song that you've got in your head at the moment that, that you can't get out. What's, what's the earworm that you're listening to? Oh, Christ. Um, or the song that, you know, when it comes on, you just get that extra bit of power, that energy, and just, you're there. Yeah, good, geez, good question. I don't, I don't know is the honest answer. Somebody that I'm listening to at the minute who, I, he's more of a storyteller, would be, I think he's from Brighton, an artist called Ren. Might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I, I certainly enjoy the his storytelling capacity. Okay. And is, is that REN if people yeah. want to check it out? or Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. REN. I'm sure, I don't know how many people will have heard of him, but I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy some of his stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay. Final question, David. What advice would you give to anybody in business or in a leadership role considering getting more active, uh, specifically taking up running? What would you say? Well, first of all, I preempted, it's an, it's an investment in themselves. So the reality is, is that if they are going to take it up, I think they, they will notice an increase in their own perceived energy, they're probably their productivity as well. So I would support the fact that they're looking at doing it and, and sort of praise the fact that it's the right thing to do to invest in yourself. I would say you have to be ruthless in carving out the time because if you're a business owner and you're busy, it'll often be the first thing that gets canned. So really identify the slot and have ruthless prioritization to say that you are going to do it regardless of how busy or whatever else pops up because otherwise it'll be, uh, be short-lived. Sounds good. David, best of luck with Hexus. It sounds like there's a lot of interesting and exciting stuff coming through this year. Uh, we'll include the links in the show notes so people can uh, find out more and, and get to the website. It's been awesome talking to you. The, the nutrition side of, of running and sport is fascinating. I think you've opened a window for everybody listening to this to, to, to begin to understand it a little bit more. So thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks to David Dunn for his time on Run the Business this week. More info on his business, Hexis, in the show notes. And I appreciate this episode was more focused on nutrition compared to the running side of things that we usually cover. But it's a space I've wanted to dig into more with an expert for quite a while. So I hope you found that as useful as I did. Nutrition is obviously so important to how we perform physically and mentally. And David's insight was fascinating. To reiterate his three core pieces of nutritional advice... The first one was about eating differently on different days, depending on what you're doing, adjusting your carbs and energy intake in line with your activities. I know for some of us, routine 
is really important, but with running, especially longer running, it's crucial to tailor that intake accordingly. I'll also add it's important not to binge when you do start to up your miles and your body starts to crave the carbs, but maybe that's just me. Uh, the second point was around protein, keeping your protein intake stable. He touched upon how long it takes your muscles to regenerate, which I found fascinating. And then the third point was micronutrients and the old adage of seven servings of fruit and veg a day. In leadership, David highlighted the power of asking questions. Don't give people the solution. Help them develop their own critical thinking skills. That's such a good one. Self-empowering your teams uh, helps them achieve more. Everyone does their own thing, has their speciality, but make sure they do it with a collective vision in mind and a collaborative attitude. And as David said at the end there, if you choose running, you're choosing to invest in yourself and it's crucial to carve out the time and be ruthless in protecting that time. I'm reading a book at the moment called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, which touches upon the principle of paying yourself first, not just with money, as the phrase was, I think, originally intended, but with time. Prioritize your most valued activities first, whether that's in your running or business, rather than trying to find time for them amongst all the other demands on your time. I think that's great advice for both our fitness and our business goals. I was torn between two quotes to finish today. The first was, if you keep good food in your fridge, you'll eat good food. So obvious, but so overlooked. Uh, but to finish, here's a quote which, um, actually, I'll give you the quote and you tell me when do you think this quote was, was made? The doctor of the future will no longer treat the human frame with drugs, but rather will cure and prevent disease with nutrition. That was actually said by Thomas Edison in 1903. Wow, maybe we're catching up now. If you enjoyed the podcast, please follow, rate, review and share wherever you can. I really appreciate it and it really does help. I'm Anthony Gay and until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals. Mm-hmm.